Hello and welcome there to another episode of the Cliff Notes podcast, where we ask a leader and find their way. This week, we'll be talking to uh, Ron Rock, which is uh, the CEO of MicroShare. One of his main services is enterprise-scale IT integration for infection control, occupancy monitoring, and predictive cleaning. So how, how are you doing today, Ron? Hey, Tristan. I'm doing great, thanks. Appreciate being here. Cool, cool. No, it's it's great. It's great having you on and uh, a timely fashion to get this conversation on the table. And I'm sure you're busy talking to many people who re-examining the occupancy of their buildings and trying to make sure they're cleanly at the same time. Absolutely. It's, it's really difficult. You really fall into two different camps. The first camp were all the folks with essential workers. They were the people that didn't have the ability to work from home, do the Zoom meetings. And so, you know, they had to go to those warehouses. They had to go to the hospitals. They had to go to those mining sites. And so for that group of people, it's been all about, you know, contact tracing and environmental monitoring and making sure that we had COVID as under control as we could in those environments because people had to continue to work through. And then the other bucket are those folks that have been able to stay at home and, you know, mothball these buildings. So office buildings, a lot of optional warehouses college university campuses, country clubs, large marinas. And in that group, you've got folks now that are starting to turn things back on, but they don't know, what does that mean? If I have a hybrid workplace, does everybody show up on Wednesday and nobody shows up on Mondays and Fridays? And so balancing out how I align my energy, my staffing, my procurement, my maintenance on these buildings, because All the data we have for the last 20, 30 years about how our stuff gets used is already out of date. We're in an unprecedented time. You know, the conversations are, you know, helping those people that are essential workers with things like contact tracing, and then with the folks that are dusting off and turning back on stuff and helping them figure out how to do that. But the underlying foundation for both is beginning to use sensors and IoT to make all that happen. And that's really what MicroShare does. No, that's great. So if you're running a, like a factory or a tool shop, these are the sort of things that can come in. And are you putting in software or devices or how are you monitoring this stuff? Um, it's, a, it's a combination of both. We know when COVID first hit, there was a lot of press in Europe and in the United States about a joint effort between Google and Apple to provide a lot of this safety information on your smartphone. And it got a lot of backlash because you know, your phone has some of your most personal information on it. And how do you feel about your employer or your government or your union or your association suddenly have an app on your phone that's tracking every move that you make and who you're in contact with? So there was a lot of backlash around privacy. The other problem with smartphones, Tristan, is that environments you're describing, quite often you're not allowed to have your smartphone with you. You know, some of our biggest customers are pharmaceutical manufacturing, nuclear power plants, military bases. You're not allowed to have a smartphone. You've got to leave it in the locker. So we bundled a wearable device. We have a couple different formats. We've got one that you wear on your wrist. It looks like a Fitbit. We've got a lanyard with a card. And these wearables have Bluetooth technology, LP WAN, LoRa technology. They've got battery lives of you know two and three years. They're relatively inexpensive. And we can now give every employee, every visitor, Uh, every support staff, we can give them a wearable device. We anonymize that. So I don't say that, hey, Ron Rock has that this particular wristband. I just know that that wristband is traversing my factory floor. 
is traversing the office space. And I'm keeping track of if that wristband has a contact event with anybody else. And the CDC defines a contact event and the World Health Organization as you're closer than two meters for more than 10 minutes. And so we would track these events. And so if in the case that you called in sick tomorrow and said, hey, sorry, guys, I've got COVID, somebody would reach out to me and they wouldn't say, hey, Tristan has COVID. They'd say, Ron, you had a contact event with somebody in the last two weeks that has tested positive. We'd like you to go get tested. So our solution is a bundling of some hardware and some software. And really, at the end of the day, the software is our secret sauce. We're SaaS software guys by pedigree, but we found that nobody in the market was bundling all of the necessary pieces to just provide a business solution. And in our case, the business solution is contact tracing, environmental monitoring, real-time occupancy, predictive cleaning, waste management, leak detection. Holding Bay specializes in working with B2B companies like manufacturers to build better solutions and drive better sales funnels. So if you would like to build a web application or improve your branding and sales funnel, get in contact today, holdingbay.co.uk or call us on 01273-04400. And so it's always a combination of software. And even within software, it's cloud. You know, where do you store all this data? So we work with Amazon and Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud, IBM Watson. Where do you store it? But it's also the software of how do you visualize it? So apps on your phone, apps on your desktop that allow you to bring all this disparate data together and begin making decisions about how to create a safer, more efficient workplace environment. The service you offer, it's not tied to just COVID outbreak. It's got a, a more more flexible lifetime than just this particular instant, yeah? Oh, absolutely. So before COVID, one of our big moot products was indoor asset tracking. So we tracked forklifts, pallets, uh, loading dock equipment, and being able to track that, one, so that you can begin optimizing the flow of products in and out of your warehouse or in and out of your distribution center. In hospitals, NHS hospitals, we track hospital beds, wheelchairs, infusion machines, ventilators, help doctors and nurses find that stuff much more quickly so they stop wasting time searching for stuff. So we were already doing a lot of indoor asset tracking. We were doing a lot of occupancy. You know, prior to COVID, still your rent is typically the second most expensive thing on your income statement, the most expensive being salaries. And how do I optimize the space that I'm using? We did a, a project with a large British utility company that was thought that they needed to build several new buildings out in the suburbs of London. And we did a six-month study with our technology, and we helped them realize that 40% of their existing real estate wasn't even being used. So by understanding that, and then, of course, you, you peel that onion back and you say, well, why isn't it being used? And you find out that it's not laid out properly. It doesn't have the latest equipment, various reasons. And by spending a fraction of the money to building a new building to retrofit and modernize your existing, they were able to accommodate their needs and save a whole lot of money. 
So building optimization, we hear a lot about. The other big thing, Tristan, that was very big before COVID, and we see it now gaining in popularity again, is everything around ESG and sustainability. Our technology helps you drive these buildings to be much more efficient, reducing your carbon footprint, reducing your energy consumption, you know, getting your heating and cooling systems aligned with where your people are. You know, a lot of buildings, even today, they just cool the whole building during the summer, whether people are there or not. They heat it in the middle of winter, whether people are there or not. They're consuming the same amount of energy. And there's a, a high motivation at the C-suite of companies globally really being led by Europe, but now in the United States also with the new administration, beginning to take ESG sustainability seriously. And our technology is a huge driver to allow companies to achieve that. The product and, and who, who's going to be using the product? I mean, is this for sort of property management, security? I mean, or is this that senior management can help make these sort of decisions and it, it's a usable product for them too? That's a great question. And, and we did a lot of work on in that, you know, trying to answer that question. You know, when you think about commercial real estate, whether it be manufacturing, warehouses, office space, there's typically multiple parties involved. There's the people that lent you the money to build the building. There's the people that build the building. There's the people that own it. There's the people that occupy it, and there's the people that maintain it. And in that ecosystem, what we're finding now over time is everybody wants the data. We see lending institutions saying, okay, I'll give you 100 million pounds to build that new skyscraper in London, but I'm going to expect real-time data reports around occupancy. The people that own the building want to know how their asset is performing. So they want to track real-time occupancy, and they also want to track their ESG and sustainability, their, you know, their leads, certification type stuff. Occupiers increasingly want to know how many people are in the space, and this has now exploded with COVID and post-COVID. How many people are in my space? Because I need to think about how much energy I buy, how much security staffing, cleaning staffing, how much food do I buy, how much maintenance do I do? And so the owners now want to see exactly how their data is, their buildings are being used. But the low hanging fruit that we got started with was the people that take care of the building. You know, the people that come in and clean all the bathrooms, clean the conference rooms, clean up the manufacturing floor at night. All of those, they would come in every day and clean every space equally, whether it needed it or not. And so companies like Carillion that went out of business in the UK or now Circo or Aramark or CBRE, they have a very vested interest in understanding exactly how the building's being used and aligning their all of their resources to match that utilization. So now if I have 100 restrooms in a building or in a facility, maybe 20 get cleaned four times a day where they used to get cleaned only once, and maybe 80 of them only get cleaned twice a week. I never had the data before. So aligning and, you know, these companies like Circo, like Carillion before they went under, you know, these are big multi-billion dollar companies working on razor thin margins. So being able to align your resources with actual utilization is a significant margin enhancer. And frankly, it's the difference between staying in business or not. You know, all of those are various personas that we sell our, our, our product to. I would say right now, the most common is the facilities management folks. And the only caveat I would throw into that is because COVID introduced such a wild card into the workplace, and it was about keeping people alive, safe and alive and healthy, 
suddenly the decision got elevated from the facilities management folks to the C-suite. And because the C-suite is also interested in you know, building optimization, do I need to build another factory? Do I need to build another warehouse? How do I answer those questions? Well, now you take those questions and you add safety, and we find that the CFO or the chief wellness officer are heavily involved in the buying decision and in the day-to-day data that comes out of these systems. And in terms of that data, these different stakeholders are going to see or look at the numbers in a slightly different way. Is there a way of being able to personalize that metric to them? Or is there a certain amount of interpretation and then I'll translate a certain amount of occupancy equals a certain amount of, I don't know, room use or cleaning need or contact tracing or something? Is there interpretation or can it tie those things back to sort of the different stakeholders, sort of monetary or, or whatever type of value that they see uh, for that use? That's a great point. And you're, you're touching on a lot of things there. So one of the unique value propositions for MicroShare is that we have dashboards that work out of the box. You literally put the sensor up, you scan it with a mobile app that we have called DeployM. You digitally twin it, you, you know, apply a certain amount of metadata and the dashboards are working right out of the gate. Literally within hours, you're looking at your data, which customers love that. It's really cool. But all of our data is also front-ended with APIs. And we partner with global system integrator firms like Rackspace, like Microland, like PwC, who take our data and build custom dashboards for customers. So as customers get smarter seeing their actual data, they begin to realize the power of what they can derive from this information, the efficiencies, the revenue opportunities, the the cost savings, the safety enhancements, whatever it may be. So a lot of our clients start with our out-of-the-box solution, and then they greatly enhance it. The analogy I use is, is it's like Microsoft Excel. You have Excel and I have Excel. We both bought the exact same product from Microsoft. I have no doubt that your Excel spreadsheets are very different than mine. Well, it's the same thing, whether you're a mining company or a distribution warehouse, a pharmaceutical manufacturer or a hospital in the UK, they're all buying the exact same product from MicroShare, but then our SI partners often customize that to give the clients, you know, specific applications with floor plans integrated in with my Schneider Electric building management system, dashboards on Amazon, maybe integrate in my 15-year-old Otis elevator system or my, you know, my 20-year-old building security system. So there's all kinds of value that clients can get over time. But what's really cool is that the application works out of the box. And that's that's a game changer in IoT. Up until we came along, you had to put all this together for yourself, multi, multi-million dollar project, probably 12 to 24 months before you got up and running. And we come in and get you up, up and running in a couple of days. But there's another part to your question that I want to I want to pull on that's um, increasingly interesting. You know, people have started to suffer from drown in data overload. If I put 10,000 sensors in your factory and you're looking at a dashboard with 10,000 data points, oh my gosh. And if you're the landlord, what do I do with that data? If you're the people cleaning the building, what do I do with that data? If you're the people that lent you the money for that building, well, what do you do with the data? And so we've begun working with some data science folks out, out of Paris and New York and we've begun developing scoring algorithms. And so the analogy is uh, certainly in the United States, you've got something called a FICO score. 
And the FICO score looks at everything about your life, how long you've lived in your house, every bill that you pay, every time you swipe your credit card or tap to pay, uh, every kind of loan that you take out, how quickly you pay back. And it's literally millions of lines of data. And the credit score simply said, you know what, Ron Rock is a 750. And so now banks, lenders, landlords, universities, look at my, my score and they say, oh, Ron's a 750. And they know exactly what to do with that. So the bank does one thing with it. The mortgage company does another. The landlord does something different. But they all know what a 750 is. So we're now taking these thousands and tens of thousands of data sources that come out of buildings. We're developing simple red, yellow, green scoring. And so we give you a yellow and the cleaning staff know what that means. The landlord knows what that means. We're trying to take all the complexity and friction out of this complex world and make the data easy for you, the business person, to take an informed action of how to move forward. And we still have a way to go on that. That's, that's not a done deal. I think we're at the beginning of this science, but you know, we're going to see, just like we have approved you know, certifications for electric appliances, and we have approved certifications for various power sources. And, you know, there's all kinds of precedents in society. This is all the bleeding edge of where we're going with that, that, this kind of technology. Does that make sense? It does. That's exciting to be able to, to focus that down and, and make it so much more actionable uh, and extensive. But taking that on board, do you have a sort of local sort of pre-sales and, and aftercare, say, in the UK and Europe, or um, which markets are you focused on? We started this journey eight years ago, and we started out in Philadelphia and Boston in the United States. And after four years, we found that nobody cared what we were doing. It just, the message didn't resonate. You know, America has not been as energy conscious as the rest of the world. We've not been as worried about our carbon footprint as the rest of the world has and global warming. And Quite by accident, uh, I have a business partner in London. We started taking our services to UK utility companies, uh, UK NHS hospitals, a couple big opportunities over in Munich, Germany. And we found that we had a really good reception. So now we're a global company. We've exploded in the last two years. We've just opened a significant development uh, shop in Prune, India. We have incorporated in Holland because Brexit presented and continues to present all kinds of daunting challenges for a company trying to move hardware around the world. The UK just hasn't been able to get their act together on that yet. So our largest office is in London. We continue to grow most of my staff out of London, but we're now putting staff in, as I said, India, Holland. Our development team is mostly out of Boston. I've got some financial and technical support out of Philadelphia, but the majority of our sales, pre-sales, support, is going on out of UK. And one of the reasons for that also, you know this as a, as a fellow traveler, the UK is probably the best global city in the world to get anywhere. And we service clients and as a, you know, GlaxoSmith clients took us into 22 countries with our contact tracing. XBO, we're in 14 different countries. Um, we're in Singapore, we're in Japan, we're in South Korea, we're in Malaysia. And if you're going to have a global place to make all that happen, London's still, even post-Brexit, the best place to do that. It makes sense to, to me. And uh, yeah, we're having this conversation before about traveling and the, the, the logistics that that is at the moment. And uh, hopefully it will slowly uh, get back to some more uh, what we're used to. 
and taking that on board, I mean, how do you support and run this business? I mean, what's your main focus? Well, as the CEO and the co-founder, you know, my, my job is to make sure that everything comes together and ultimately we create a highly valuable company. So for any fellow entrepreneurs out there listening to this podcast, I'm very sad to report that if you look at the last eight and a half years, I've spent 70% of that time raising money. We raised $20 million over the last eight years, and now I'm raising $20 million more. And we're raising that money because everything that we talk about is happening right now. When I talk about the shift from clean equals safe and reacting in that first bucket to essential workers, to what is the future, this idea of ever smart, all of the technology that we're talking about, Tristan, you've got teenage children, by the time they're 25, everywhere they go, from their home to the shirt and pants that they put on, to their place of work, to the place that they go to entertain themselves, everywhere they go is going to have these sensors. And these sensors are going to let us all know, is the place safe? If you see something, you know, I love the UK. If you see it, say it sorted. That's awesome if you're in the tube. What if I'm in an office building? What if I'm at Wembley Stadium? What if I'm in the waiting room at an NHS hospital and I see something? How do I say something? How do I communicate with the right people at the right time when somebody needs to take action? So all of this is going to be ubiquitous to our children by the time they're 25 years old. And so it's, it's about land grab right now. So we're working with some of the biggest companies in the world. Microsoft is our biggest partner, but some of the biggest facilities management companies in the world, like Aramark, like Circo, we're not trying to get into five hospitals. We're trying to get into 5,000 hospitals in the next year. We're not trying to get into 400 hotel rooms. We're trying to get into 3 million hotel rooms in the next couple of years. We're not trying to get into one or two warehouses. We're trying to get into 100,000 warehouses across the UK. So we're working with big companies to make that happen. As the CEO, my job is to always make sure we don't get buried in the, in the detail and the challenges of today and take our eye off the ball. Because once you get these sensors in place, they're going to be in for the next 10 years. People aren't going to rip them out and replace them. It's kind of like boring infrastructure. You know, when's the last time you thought about changing your smoke detector in your office or at home? You really don't even think about it. It's there, but it plays a very important role. If that smoke detector goes off right now, you know exactly what you need to do. Our technology is exactly the same way. I'm tracking real-time occupancy, real-time air quality, real-time leak detection. And if a sensor goes off, you need to take action right away. But for the most part, you want to put this technology in and forget about it. You just want to know that you're making the best decisions every moment of every day based on the real-time data that you're getting. So there's real value in getting as much land grab as we can. So my job is keeping jet fuel in the tank with money, always looking for the big, big, big deals. The people that want to buy a million sensors at a time, well, or cents. I, I don't sell the sensors. It's a, it's a software as a service offering. You know, We charge per month per sensor for these solutions. And then the, the last thing I do is I spend a fair amount of time recruiting. You know, you need a lot of really smart people. You need people that have the right attitude. You need people that are okay with the amount of risk that you take being in an early stage company as opposed to a well-established company. This isn't just MicroShare. This is any company in my, at my stage of growth. You know, we're not for everybody. 
And so finding the right people that are going to be a fit is also a challenge. I was talking to some really smart people in the last nine months, they said, who, who managed to you know, grow their company to, to multi-billion dollar annual turnover companies. And you ask them to reflect on their 15 or 18 year journey. And you say, what was the most difficult time? And they'll say, the most difficult time was going from 50 to 150 employees, going from that entrepreneurial, anything goes, shoot from your hip, you know, got to figure it out, got to create the product, got to get the right packaging and positioning and pricing. Boy, that's fun. It's like the wild, wild west. But once you figure that stuff out, now it's how do you go out and sell 100 million of these? That's a very different skill set. And making that transition is exactly where MicroShare is right now. It's fun. It's exciting. It's really hard. It's really challenging. And my job is to somehow keep my arms around all of that. Sounds like you got, you got your hands full. But I mean, from what you've taken away so far with the, the pedigree of businesses you've been working with, seems to be the, the right direction. I mean, what, what is your, your biggest challenge then, uh, apart from just securing those raises of funding and the staff? Are those your biggest challenges or, or what's your sort of industrial focus that, uh, that's heading into your next three years? The biggest challenge right now is getting people to feel comfortable to say yes. We don't know what we don't know. I like to say often in many different presentations, if anybody tells you that they know what the next three years are like, they're lying. Maybe intentionally, most likely not intentionally, but we just don't know. And so you have people who are, you know, we're all equally shell-shocked. We were all at ground zero when this thing happened. Everybody has a, a deep, uh, mostly sad, sometimes a little bit good and bad story about how COVID affected us. So it affected me, it affected my team here at MicroShare, affected my customers. So I'm talking to you and you're a customer and you represent, let's say, you know, 300 locations around the world. And your CEO has said, look, you've got to make a decision. We got to put something in place. You're scared. You don't know that much about it. You feel insecure. You don't want to look stupid. So much of this right now is making people feel comfortable to take the plunge. And what's happening is, as I get more big customers to say yes, which I'm getting, that makes other people feel more comfortable because, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, I see. GlaxoSmithKline said yes to this. Oh, I feel a little bit better about that, right? The biggest challenge right now is doing that at scale, Tristan, because you know that kind of sale, that requires a lot of handholding for a while to make you feel comfortable to make the leap. It's hard for me to do that times a thousand people. That makes sense? No, it does. It's what, what we usually end up on this show going back to. Whatever you do in technology or machinery or production, it comes back to a people process, people selling to people and people being happy with the people that they work with and, uh, and partner with. And just as we're, we're coming to the end of this show, I just wondered whether you had a, like a favorite tool, a favorite book, something that you've been using and reading at the moment uh, just to share with the audience that they might enjoy too. Unfortunately, I don't think I have a, a book right now that I'm reading that everybody would get a kick out of because it turns out that, again, through the global land grab that we're doing, we've got some really exciting opportunities unfolding, including a very large customer in Saudi Arabia. And I never really knew that much about Saudi Arabia. You know, I know that they're an oil OPEC country, as we all do, but I never really understood the cultural differences that, oh, by the way, getting back to the conversation we just had, people do business with people. You have to be able to build that rapport, that build that trust. And when you bridge cultures, 
you know, I had an experience for a while uh, working in Japan, and I learned a lot about how to bridge the Japanese culture with the Western culture to be able to productively do business. And so I'm, I'm learning that right now about the Saudi prince and the Saudi culture and the Saudis' vision of what 2030 looks like. And it's absolutely fascinating. So I guess the, the takeaway that I would tease out for our listeners is culture matters. And don't assume that as a Brit or as an American or as a German, we can go anywhere in the world and people think the way we think, respect the way the things that we respect. And having spent a lot of time in India over the last 20 years, I learned a lot about accepting the caste system, accepting the way their culture is, very different from the way most Western cultures are. But you got to know how to meet people that are different at least halfway if you're going to be successful. And um, I, it never ceases to surprise me how different people can be. I think that that fits with me too. And it is just being able to to understand and uh, and work with other people and other cultures and be taking that stuff on board is, is I think it brings us all forward and, and makes us all better people. So, um, yeah, no, I, I take that sentiment on. And then just our, our other fun closer. Some people like it. Some people uh, need a bit more time to think on it. If you were going to give one of your customers a superhero costume for the day to come out of their corner fighting, or maybe you're going to put yourself in, in that spot and help them, what one or two things would you, you reach for? Could be superpowers, could be a, a pencil and paper, could be a, a task list, could be anything you like that would help them come out on top. My favorite, I, I don't know how many of your listeners know what Star Trek is, Star Trek and the Starship Enterprise. But there's the Vulcan mind meld. I wish I could just touch people on the forehead and I could share with them the knowledge of everything that we know because it's absolutely going there. Sometimes I, I, I feel like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs in the I see a future. I'm 95% right. I know it. I know, I know that the story that I shared with you about our kids in their mid 20s and the world that they're going to be in, I know all that's happening. I was part of the internet when it launched. I was part of mobile and cellular when it launched. I was part of Indian offshoring and globalization when it launched. I was one of the early adapters to the cloud before people even knew what the cloud was. And every time I see these things and I, I, I just know it's happening. And so I wish I had a superpower, the Vulcan mind meld, which goes both ways. One is it helps me get to know all of your concerns and challenges and fears and it simultaneously lets me share with you just all the things that I've spent the last, really the last 25 years learning that make you know that it's going to be okay. And we're going to get through this together. Is that too corny of an answer? <laughs> no, no, no. I think better connecting with everyone is, is does make sense. And uh, being able to share that. And uh, there are so many things that we often put in front of ourselves or things come up or misunderstandings that happen that just get into the way to, to get stuff rolling and keep people going in the, in the direction that helps them and helps everyone else around them. So it's been, been a great, great half hour being able to, to chat with you and, uh, and, and spend some time and learn more about the, the product that you have. What's the best way of people getting in contact with you and the business if they want to be able to learn more and uh, invest in this for their business? Sure, thanks. So you can reach us at www.microshare.io. We have a lot of great content on there about the products and offerings. Also, if you're interested, we've got a lot of thought leadership white papers around data ownership, data sharing, how, how data scoring, those types of things. We also have a, our own podcast called Manifest Density 
very short and to the point with lots of high profile global guests all talking about how this new world starts to open up and how we think about so many people in so many spaces and what are the risk factors and how do we how do we get to the other end of this journey ingesting and installing all this new technology to get us where we need to be. So a lot of great stuff on the website if you're interested. Again, that's www.microshare.io. That's grand. Don't say run. And uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you again or uh, seeing you on your travels over in the UK. Love the questions. Thanks, Tristan. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us again on this week's episode of the Cliff Notes podcast. If you'd like to talk to myself or the guest, the show notes and episodes archive are always available on the website cliffnotespodcast.com. And we always appreciate your feedback and likes and shares on all the social media channels. So thank you. And we'll see you again next time.